Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Let's face it. People have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Bed, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com there are nearly 20 million military vets in the u.s and each week we focus on their stories this is cbs eye on veterans Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com and uh, doing a show today from the Capitol Hilton in Washington, D.C. in what I'd like to say is a victory lap, is a celebration of the passage of the PACT Act, a bill that was about 13 years in the making, a bill that now guarantees funding for veterans who are, who for years have been suffering from toxic exposures, from burn pits, from contaminated water. It really is the Agent Orange of our time. And to think that it took decades now, and in some cases since the 1970s, for veterans to get their justice. And to think it just all culminated earlier this week, Wednesday, August 10th, 10th. <laughs> President Biden signed into law a bill that was such a struggle and a fight to even get here and i'm joined to talk about this again with my good friend from grunt style tim jensen the chief strategy officer and a guy i always like to call the first sergeant of fashion because you really are looking fashionable today um you know it's uh it's just such an honor to sit here with you and talk about what we have just achieved first let's just jump right into it the pact act signed into law Walk me through what it was like getting to the White House and knowing that a bill so crucial for the health of veterans you were a part of and that you were witnessing a sitting president sign within, you know, an arm's length of you. 
Well, thank you for having me on the show, Phil. It's always great to be with you, and uh, it's been an amazing, an amazing journey. Uh, I think today was something that ended this chapter of you know four years worth of work uh, that I've been involved with uh, the project, and you know over ten years worth of work that Rosie Torres and her husband Leroy have been involved with, and many, many others. You know, it was an emotional day. Um, you know. We had the emotional moment uh, last week when the bill passed the cloture um, and all the amendments. Uh, that was a very emotional time sitting in the gallery. And then we have this moment where we're actually at the White House in the East Room, right? With, this was supposed to happen in the Rose Garden, which is an incredible place in its own. One place that I've never been. And uh, you know, it was quite exciting for me to have the opportunity to be inside of the White House, um, you know, and... and Seeing all of the uh, nostalgia and antiques, and you know the the things inside of like I got to see Abraham Lincoln's you know China <laughs> in the cabinet. I mean that blows my mind uh, that, that that we were so close to touching these things and being around uh, this American history, uh, but most importantly to be a part of American history, right? Because what we accomplished today was signing the biggest piece of legislation. Uh, for the veteran community in well over 100 years, right? Nothing, nothing compares to what uh, this bill is doing, is going to do for the veteran community. Um, you know, and, uh, I have a dear friend that had mentioned the very same thing in an email to me uh, after the, 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 the vote in the Senate, you know, pretty much saying, you know, this is the biggest, far, farthest reaching, uh, inclusive bill that has been uh, positioned in the VA and actually won. And now we're in a position that we can, you know, provide uh, three and a half million veterans from, you know, uh, Vietnam all the way through, you know, current combat uh, operations uh, in uh, the last 20, 20 years. So it's a huge opportunity, a huge win. It's very emotional. The room was packed. I wish I wish I had seen that many people sitting on the steps with us last week, but they were there in spirit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, all in all, it was a it was an incredible day, highly emotionally charged, and you know I, I want to give a you know a particular shout out um, that I think is is noteworthy here, um, and that's to President Biden, right? You know, uh, I got to see him have a, a very emotional re, uh, reaction um, with his with his grandson Hunter Biden, uh, talking about how you know the endless work that Joe Biden has has put towards. Um, you know this particular issue, having his son having died from it, uh, and then you know his grandson being in the in the gallery with us uh, today. You know, I got to see that personally from him, and you know, we can we could take all the politics, and those are all arguments to be had. Um, but you know, one thing that that I saw was the human side of all this, and the effects that this has had from the president of the United States to you know uh, a family of Ohio. Right and 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 the the devastation that this has brought to everybody. So, I think that was something very uh, important that I, that I think we should all look at and we should all re- should recognize that we we've accomplished something extraordinary that has touched almost every walk of life uh, in the United States. You know, particularly over the last seventy plus years. That's cool. I know he's got that personal connection, of course, with the passing of his son Bo Biden, uh, who served in Iraq. Um, and that you saw the human side of him. And I'm glad you bring that up because we are in this era where it's so contentious, where we are fighting each other tooth and nail over red versus blue. Everybody, every, a lot of people are making some fair points when it comes to 
some things, and then some people are just spouting hyperbole, and then you get into the audience and the American citizens, you know, the voting population, and we're just arguing to argue and to see that moment with President Biden address the burn pit victims, to address the people who've already lost folks. Uh, did you get a chance to get a picture with him? Did you see him shake the hands of some of the other activists? I know he was there with Rosie, I'm sure. Um, did you get a chance to you know, see him have that same visceral reaction to the activists that stood carrying signs for so many years? Yeah, uh, I did. And, you know, it was, again, it was such a surreal moment, right? You're sitting in the East Room. Like, this room is packed with probably over 200 individuals, a lot of them uh, dressed in military uniform. Um, you know, you had the press and the hot lamps behind you just beating on your head. And, you know, you're, you're seeing some of the most incredible people that have, you know, endured some of the most incredible pain, you know, sitting on uh, and speaking to that uh, in front of the American people, right? Um, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was rather interesting. It was great to see um, the president uh, interacting with those individuals, um, with the survivors, the widows, the children, um, you know, and again, like, this is part of the healing, right? You know, there's so much... There's so much that our community has endured over you know, since the, since the beginning of this republic. That those that have served this country, and you know, there's you know, we talk to talk about you know, there's you know, the veterans need we need to do all this we can for veterans and blah 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 blah. Right? We we say it all the time, um, but this is the moment that we can actually say we did that. That we all came together. That we were able to put all this partisan nonsense aside and have a real conversation about. What is it, what is important, right? Um, what what are what are some of the the, the subjects that are actually hurting uh, our, our our population uh, as Americans, right? Uh, both from a uh, national security perspective, right, because you know we're having some serious recruiting issues, um, to you know just the devastation that war has on families, right? So these are these are those those moments in time that we can sit back, reflect on it, and say, you know what. We got it right. Not only did we get it right, we've now helping people that that you know one didn't have that help but 24 hours ago and and didn't know what the future would look like. So cool. We're going to unpack a little bit about the bill uh, in just a second because I do want to address my skepticism with this bill and also dive into what you really think this will achieve. Because again, we're talking about the Pact Act, which is now signed into law, and it was the promise to address comprehensive toxics. That's a huge way to say there's a lot of people that have been dying of a lot of different diseases, and will this bill go far enough? Did it have the teeth to achieve what you want it to and become one of the greatest one of the greatest paybacks? Uh, we'll, we're going to dive into that in just a second. Uh, I want to also include in this top-of-the-hour segment, though, I want to pick back up where we left off, and I want to let you know on this show that we made a difference with a Zoom call that we rolled audio on. I want to say we did that Thursday night when you started the Firewatch. It was about 11 o'clock, maybe close to midnight. Your crazy ass told me you were going to be on the Capitol Hill stairs until this thing passed, and you were going to be there, and you said there's no bathrooms. You guys were just there in protest, and they voted against this thing because they said it was going to create a budget gimmick. It was going to become a slush fund so people would be building, you know, pink pony bridges to nowhere in the middle of nowhere land. And we're going to have all these pork, uh, quoting one of your tweets. Talk to me about where we left off, and then I want to share with you 
how our conversation echoed in some pretty important halls. You know, it was a, it was a point in time where a, a couple individuals who didn't feel like they had a voice, that they were being marginalized and disenfranchised from a political process, took that power back, and they and they did that by saying, "We're not going to take this anymore." And if it means sitting on the steps of of the Capitol for as long as we need to, then that's what we're going to do, right? And you know, that wasn't a very hard decision to make, right? Uh, I'm in a bit, a bit of a position that you know I can I can I can do that you know I can I you know I don't have any, a, a lot of responsibilities, <laughs> but uh, you know I was able I was able to sit down and do that right uh, and you know and how that all really came to be was uh, I'll put it this way Ted Cruz <laughs> had the, had had you handled had your staff handled things a little bit differently you probably would have got away with what you were peddling out there that's that's my direct message to you. Um, because it was that those actions, the Capitol Police, us being escorted off the property, uh, that led us to the, you know, the train station where we're sitting and eating at Chick-fil-A, you know, wallowing in our misery that we didn't know what was going to happen next, right? And we said, you know what? It was a Wolf of Wall Street moment. You know, we're not going to take it anymore, right? We're not leaving. We're not effing leaving. <laughs> and uh, Rosie and I and Amanda Barbosa... Just three wayward souls said, let's do it. And we finished our Chick-fil-A, marched our tinies over to uh, the Capitol and plopped our butts right on the stairs. And, you know, and then we started you know, tweeting and texting and, you know, uh, started ginning up a social media campaign. Uh, and that set off a series of events, right? And we got a lot of support, a lot of support. Like, it was, it was actually really, really fascinating and, and gave me a lot of hope uh, 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 within our country, you know, People were door dashing us uh, water and food. You know, the New York uh, police or New York Fire Department, you know, door dashed us like five pizzas, right? Uh, they're sending stuff from all over the country, um, you know, showing their support because a lot of people couldn't make it in person, but they wanted to, to, to say, hey, we support what you're doing. We understand what is going on. And, you know, here's, here's some uh, resources to keep going. And we did. We went from Thursday to Tuesday. And, uh, you know, we really made an impact. Uh, and then, you know, not only that, you know, uh, from sitting on the hill uh, and, you know, communicating our message out, you know, it seemed like every 30 minutes we were using uh, a piece of our social media uh, channels uh, to in- invite people. And we were seeing people coming at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Capitol Hill is a 24-hour uh, operation, right? Uh, so you got people that are coming off of a shift of work to come and sit just an hour with us, Right. And they're like, hey, we, we appreciate you. We appreciate what you're doing because we can't do this. We have, we have jobs that we need to do. But I'm here just to let you know that you have to keep going. You have to fight. And that's what did it. That's what pushed us over. And not only that, you know, it, it motivated us to set up org- uh, little rallies across the United States, right? Because, you know, this was, this was war. They, they, there was a war that was perpetuated. 25 Republicans wanted to go to war. And they did, and they they went, and I warned them all, and we warned them all. You don't want to mess with the combat community, the combat veteran community, because we are resilient, we are determined, and we have discipline unlike any other uh, you know, individuals that you've ever come across. So, you know, what we did was, uh, we as we uh, set a firm position on the Capitol, we started opening up uh, other points of contact across the country in Ohio, Texas, Indiana. Uh, Iowa, uh, we're setting up the uh, Philadelphia, we're setting up these little rallies, right? Going after some of these 25 senators that in the 11th hour changed their vote, 
right? And we were holding them accountable. Uh, I flew back uh, and helped organize uh, with an individual uh, uh, in San Antonio at the VFW 76, uh, a rally against Ted Cruz and uh, Senator Cornyn, right? And these were rallies just to say, hey, we do not agree. You work for us. You work for us at the end of the day, and we're telling you how to vote, and this is how you need to vote. Uh, And ultimately, one of those individuals ended up voting the right way. The other uh, suddenly got COVID. (laughs) And I like how you told me in the lobby earlier, was it coincidence or convenience that Senator Cornyn couldn't be in attendance to cast his vote because he came up with COVID? I'd like to see the antigen test, sir. Anyways... Share with me a couple moments or some visual moments that you saw. But there ain't a lot of toilets. There ain't showers. This isn't a concert venue. This isn't like you can just roll over there to the Bud Light tent and, like, you know, sit a spell. Where people literally just sitting on that cold marble steps all night long. And paint for me a couple pictures of things you remember. Like, the one I'm dying to hear about is I saw your ass on Twitter underneath an umbrella in the middle of a rainstorm sitting there going this is what activism looks like and i could barely see the capital under the umbrella but it just looked like a deluge yeah yeah because you know here's a little insight right um you're not allowed to sleep on the stairs of the capital you can uh you're not allowed to sit and hold uh, uh picket picket signs you have to stand if you want to hold signs uh, and you know, if you sleep, the the police can actually arrest you and take you uh, and take you off the property. Um, so, from you know Thursday the, till Friday, when reinforcements started really coming flowing in, you know it was myself, Rosie, Amanda Barbosa, Will Wisner flew in, and we were operating. Uh, I, I believe Amanda Barbosa, who's one of the most incredible women that uh, I had the great pleasure of sharing some time with over over the last uh, week with, but she. Yeah, she went uh, all nearly fifty-eight hours of no sleep, no sleep, sitting there and and doing the work. We were we were having parties, we were having karaoke contests, we were having a birthday. We had a birthday party uh, for one individual there. So we had a birthday cake. Uh, you know, it, we were just you know, it was like being back in the military, right? Because Firewatch sucks, right? Nobody wants to do Firewatch, so you have to make Firewatch acceptable, and we made it acceptable and on our own terms. And I think we did that very, very neatly, uh, to the point where the Capitol Police were consistently, you know, giving us, uh, you know, uh, recognition of like you guys are the most professional uh, group that we've ever had sitting on the Capitol here doing, you know, and protesting, and that's what we were aiming for, right? We wanted to be the example of what good democracy in action looks like. We wanted to have a clean position. We wanted to be respectful to. The, the space, respectful to the people that operate the space, and respectful to the authorities that keep the place operating safely, and and you know we did uh, we did that very very well uh, to the point where you know as more people were showing up, we were having little like little first sergeant safety briefings like here's what you do, here's what you don't do, this is what we accept, this is what we don't accept. If you don't want to play along these rules, then you're not allowed to be here, right? Because we one we didn't want to be co-opted. Because we were very, we were pointed on what we were trying to accomplish, um, and we didn't want to look unprofessional, right? What we wanted to demonstrate is, we are here supporting the veterans and the and the and the families that have lost individuals and are currently fighting for their lives. This is not a joke. This is you know this is serious work, and we are here for business only, right? And you know I think people really respected that to the point where, you know, you're talking about some things that stuck out in my mind, you know. Uh, the people that were showing up 
all walks of life, all colors, all races, all creeds, all, all the sexual orientations. Like, if you want to take a slice of America at any given point of the, the, those six days, you can. You, there was a great slice of the demographic of this country, and I was extraordinarily proud of that. Right? Uh, I was also extraordinarily proud of uh, the uh, representatives and senators that were coming to visit. Right? Because there was no bathroom, because there was no um, you know opportunity to to sleep. Right? Um, you know, there were many individuals that were coming, and I won't share who they are, but they were, these people would surprise anybody, right? They were coming, and they were, you know, offering up their office space for us to rest, to shower, to, um, you know, uh, to use the bathroom, right? Senator Gillenbrand, you know, uh, who's championed this from the very beginning, and, you know, she's, she's won a very, um, you know, uh, special place in my heart. Uh, we don't see things eye to eye politically, but this is not a political conversation, right? This is about uh, helping human lives. Her and her husband would, had come out several times and, you know, were ushering and, uh, people into the Capitol building to use the bathroom, you know, uh, and, you know, they were just so, so generous, so generous. Uh, and I think that that's the story of America is like we can look past these things and we can, we can become closer. We can become tighter when we have a common goal. Right. And if we can look past all this nonsense and garbage of partisan politics, because human life is not politics. If we can move past that, I think we can be a better country. And for many reasons, I think we are. But media just likes to paint a a different picture to keep us all divided. Yeah. And it really underscores why I'm here with you right now, because you're right. The media channels we tune into are flavors that we either like or we dislike. So we live in vacuums. And this isn't that, brother. You and me, this is, this is the veteran experience, and this is, this is honestly one of the most inspiring stories I've heard because people camped out on the hill and did it the right way. This is also where I want to show, share with you a moment that I knew we had done something great, not because it was a great podcast episode that very few people ever heard and may never hear again, but I know our conversation Thursday night started to make a ruckus. Because as we analyzed the PACT Act and why 25 senators would vote against it, all of which just happened to be Republican, I'm not trying to call that out to be partisan, but I am going to call it out. And they called it out on the narrative that it was a slush fund for Democrat pet projects and this was just going to create pork. And I just want to share with you here, honestly, sincerely over a beer, fast forward past the weekend protest, we're now going into Monday and I've been told that the vote might happen on Monday, but neither one of us knew. I don't think you knew. Right. No, no, didn't know. And I'm sitting there on vacation going, man, have I done enough? Was it enough to record you and I chatting at midnight on the first night of the fire watch while you guys were just free flowing with energy and caffeine and coffee? Was that enough? And I got calls from media executives And I got calls from senators' offices. We're not going to mention any names, but it was heard, damn it. It was heard. The media executives I had to talk to and have some very private conversations with about our previous episode understood the passion you had, understood the passion I have, understood that we have lost people to cancers because of these burn pits and these toxic exposures. And to the senators... To the senator in specific, he was upset. He was very upset of the way we were handling him 
and the social media storm that you guys were firing, firing grenade after grenade on social media from the Capitol stairs at all hours of the night. And it was getting reshared and it got heard. I know it got heard because Monday afternoon I had some uncomfortable phone calls and it was... It left me with the words that a colleague of mine coined the phrase, apologetically proud. I was apologetic that I didn't want our podcast episode from the Capitol to have such an offensive headline using the Queen's English that begins with F. But I knew that when I'd heard that a certain senator had heard it and was unhappy and that media executives were now getting involved and everyone was focused on what you were doing, I knew we were making a difference. What I'm dying to know from you is, on the ground, when did you know that it was going to have traction? Well, I think it was, you know, uh, early in the process, Amanda Barbosa and I, we, we, we put this uh, flip poster board thing together that had all the 25 senators that, that changed their vote in the 11th outer. We listed them all, right, from Barbosa all the way down to, you know, Whoever the, the last person was on the list, right? And uh, and every you know night, an hour, right? We were like, hey, who's ch- who's checked who's checked in and said that they're going to give us a vote? And we go down the list, and like, oh, nobody, because nobody, no Republicans over the the five days that we were there came to visit, not one. And listen, I'm a card carrying Republican. I've been I've been voting Republican my entire life, right? To know that not one of the people that I put my faith and my values of my politic into would come and visit me after they've been the party of, uh, I love those veterans. I love those veterans. Gosh darn. Woohoo. America, America, America. Well, God dang it. They didn't come and visit my America, right? They, they weren't visiting the misery of the America that we were living in on the Capitol Hill, uh, on the steps of the Capitol. Um, and they, they, they certainly didn't give a, a damn about that. Um, you know, so that was, that was kind of, that was kind of insulting. That was kind of, um, it really, really took a lot of wind out of the sails where I think we started really gaining traction was when Tuesday morning hit, right? And Senator Scott from Florida comes over and says, Hey, how are you guys doing? Like, Oh, Hey, you know, Amanda runs against the, 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 the flip paper. And she's like, would you guys be, would you be willing to give us confirmation that you're going to vote to pass this bill? And he said, yes. And he took a marker and scratched his name, uh, scratched check mark, two check marks next to his name. At that point, that point is when I knew it was in the bag. When one Republican broke to come over, right, and started talking to us. Because, again, ladies and gentlemen, let me reiterate to all of you that are listening, this was politics and politics alone. 25 senators in the last hour changed their vote because they were upset with what was happening with the reconciliation and Joe Manchin. That's all it was. McConnell whipped the caucus. 25 Republicans come over and say, we're not going to give these guys any more wins, and they're going to you know, kind of tank this bill. They would have got away with it, too. Had <laughs> That seems like a, like a Scooby-Doo episode. They would have got away with it, too, if we not pulled the, the mask off the, 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 the little rabble-rouser Ted Cruz. Right? But we did. And uh, and and we shut that we shut it down, right? Uh, and then when that first Republican broke Tuesday morning, uh, they all started coming, right? To where you know uh, Senator Moran, the the, the minority ranking member of the SVAC, came over, and I had an incredible conversation with him, right? And we saw eye, eye to eye on the situation, right? And he had his points on on some of the uh, issues that he that he. Uh, 
uh, was against, and he articulated them as a, as a good senator should, right? As a good senator in our politic, that is what should happen. And I commend Senator Moran for that, an incredible human. And thank you for, for, for taking the opportunity and coming to our camp, our firewatch, in you know, what would be considered enemy territory, right? You come in, you, you, you had that conversation. And many more Republicans followed after that, right? So that's when we knew that it was, it was going down. It, it was go- the, the wind was in our, our sails. Uh, momentum was in our direction. Um, and, you know, all we had to do at this point was not mess it up and just keep on going. So cool. So we've, uh, so we've stood out there all weekend long. We've endured rain, heat, sweat, discomfort in every way. We've had a swell of support. The media is covering it. People are sharing it. And then the vote. 86 to 11. I've never stopped down from a beach vacation to watch C-SPAN ever in my life, but I remember it so well, running back to the place going, okay, I hope this condo has, I hope this condo has cable. God, I hope this cable system has C-SPAN. Sure enough, found C-SPAN too. There it was. Tester, Senator Tester, who's always championed this, uh, was there counting the votes. 86 to 11, it passes. There are still 11 senators out there who voted against this, but we're going to cover that in another episode. What I want to cover here is the PACT bill, the promise to address comprehensive toxics, became law. No more hoops to jump through. It finally passed. This is where I want to get with you real quick in our parting moments here. The cynic in me says, yes, you passed it. It was enough to be okay. We're, we're going to go ahead and stamp this, let the president sign it. What did you have to sacrifice Is this discretionary funding or is this mandatory funding? Does this cover enough presumptions? Or did we have to sacrifice a prostate cancer for asthma? Did we get enough in the PACT Act? And will this really help all veterans right now? Is it enough? It's never going to be enough, right? You know, I think what we did is we presented something that what... We believed, and by say we, you know, this is largely Rosie Torres, right, that has led uh, the, the this conversation. Because there were two bills at time, at one at one point. There was the Team Act, and there was the Pact Act, right? The Team Act, you know, talked to you know, it was was a much smaller bill that didn't really you know have the teeth that the Pact Act did, uh, and the Pact Act was mainly focused on presumption, right? Because what we believed is if you can if you can reduce the burden on the veteran who uh, you know has no control over their medical records, uh, you know, to uh, have a better opportunity to, to to argue their case with the VA, that's a good thing. That's a great thing, right? Give give these individuals a, a criteria that says, hey, if I served in this area and received these medals uh, during this time period, I'm now presumed to be exposed. And I don't have to carry the presumption. That was the biggest focus of what we were trying to accomplish with this bill. And I think we did that, right? Did we get all of the cancers that we wanted? No, but we got 23 of them, right? And that's a good start, right? Because now we can build on it. Because with the, with the passage of this bill, the hard work is just beginning, 
right? The, 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 it wasn't hard to get this thing passed. I mean, there's shenanigans and, you know, time and, and, and effort and trips and all these things to, to get to where we are. But those, that wasn't really hard stuff, right? Now the hard stuff is really having to begin to where, what, is, what does this look like? How does all the care and uh, uh, the, the, the management of the budgets look like? Because uh, you know, that's important, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, when you know, we talk about discretionary versus mandatory spending, you know, this is a mandatory spending bill because it's been mandatory from the inception of this bill, right? And it's important to notice that and to talk about that because when we are discover- describing what mandatory spending means when, in relation to this bill, we're talking about it is now an entitlement, right? In, in all sakes and, uh, and circumstances, you might as well refer to it as almost like a social security fund. It will be is funded perpetually, right? It is not annual appropriations, which would be the case of a discretionary bill, to where you know maybe two, three years down the way, depending on which political party is in control of the purse, they could determine that hey, you know what we're not going to fund it this year, and you know the the bill is dead and it has or the the law is dead and has no value to anybody. We didn't ever want that, right? We want this thing to be funded perpetually because the big the second part of this besides presumption was to make sure future war fighters were taken care of. That the wars that we're fighting a century ahead of time right now are, you know, in case those uh, sailors, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine, you know, all those guys are exposed to something, they're protected, right? So we want this to be mandatory spending forever. It is a new class. So I think that's important to, to notice. And I think that's a big victory uh, for the community at large. And, you know, ultimately the friction point, you know, from the 25 Republicans that voted uh, against it because, you know, why did they? Why do they want it to be discretionary? That's the question that nobody uh, that they, they can't seem to answer, right? They could. They, they just keep coming back. Well, it's a slush fund. There is so much pork in it, like porcupus prime. Oh my god! Well, describe one layer of pork. Describe. Can you point to one one ounce of pork in that bill? Because you know, in in the, in the legislation, in the writing of it, it deems it illegal to spend any of these monies on non-toxic exposure veteran-related issues. So what are you talking about? If you're talking about discretionary, it seems to me that if you're talking about discretionary, it sounds like you are not committed to funding something like this. And that's the ultimate uh, part of this conversation. And I think we moved past that. We've got law. We've got it mandatory spending. It's perpetual, and it will be forever. And, uh, you know, I think that's a huge win uh, alongside with presumptions. And now we can talk about the, the follow-on stuff, right? Now we can talk about, you know, more screening. Now we can talk about prevention uh, met- met- me- measures. Now we can talk about other parts of legislation that we're involved uh, in having conversations with right now. It's like Senator Blumenthal, uh, uh, Klobuchar uh, with her uh, colonoscopy bill. Uh, we're also uh, having conversations with Senator Blackburn because her community care uh, amendment was actually a good idea, and it should probably give it, be given an opportunity to be talked about in the Senate. Well, I, you know, we're pursuing that. Uh, we're also pursuing psychedelics uh, and you know the uh, the propositions that uh, Rand Paul have put forward uh, in the NDAA of 2022. So you know. There are all these things now that we can actually start talking about now that we've got three and a half million veterans that have been suffering into the, pro- into the programs. Now we can start building on that and create better opportunities for the veteran in their health care, their uh, livelihood, and, you know, compensation, right? And to me, compensation means, is, is very, means next to nothing to me, right? Um, and I, I don't mean that 
crass, crassly or, uh, or say that uh, with a throwaway statement, you know, I think compensation uh, for injuries is important, but that wasn't what we were focused on, right? We were focused on getting these people the dignity of health care because we have seen people lose everything because they can't finance their cancer. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. They couldn't finance their cancer and they're having to give up their home and, you know, then their, their, their marriage would dissolve. And the next thing you know, these people are committing suicide and part of the, of the, the, the number uh, that we heard from the president today, 17, 17 a day. So, you know, these are the facts of life. And, you know, you, we can, we can you know, be part of the solution or we can sit on our fingers and our thumbs and say, oh, you know what? I just don't like this. We could do better. Well, what are you going to do about it? I think you damn sure proved what you were going to do about it, what you did do about it, and today with the president signing the PACT Act into law, we've done something. We can always add more diseases. We can always add more conditions. We can always help treat more. But the fact that it's mandatory funded and it is now law is just one of the most amazing achievements. You were in war. You were were a Marine. You were in... You were in battle in defense of our nation, but this, compared to that, has to feel almost bigger. You know, the, as I think about my life, you know, I'm a 44-year-old man. Um, you know, I spent uh, some time in the Marine Corps, uh, done some, some pretty crazy things. You know, a lot of stuff I'm not proud of. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm mad enough to say it. You know, but uh, you know, here I am. You know, I think back. I think back in some of these moments in time, right? You know, I think about uh, joining the Marine Corps. One of the, the most pivotal moments in my life that, you know, really set my myself up for a, a direction. Right? I could have chose one path or another, uh, and I, I think I chose the right one with that choice. Uh, second most distinctive moment, uh, you know, the birth of my son when I was you know deploying to Iraq. You know, getting to hear my son being born over the telephone was an incredible moment. Being in Iraq at the first Iraqi national election, watching uh, people vote for the very first time in a government they had no understanding of what the D in democracy even meant. Um, and then this, right? Closing that chapter of combat. Thinking about my, my dear friend Frank, who I lost in 2012 uh, to this very illness. You know, I think, I think we put a lot of ghosts to rest, right? Um, and I think we did a lot. I think we did right by our community, uh, mostly to those that are, are gone. And I hope the ones that uh, are still struggling uh, get to see what what this law will actually do for them. And uh, I, I I hope that uh, they they are able to seek some 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 peace. And most importantly, you know, I think about my son that's in the Navy right now. Uh, he's going to be graduating from boot camp on the first of September. Is that um, you know him and, and his 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 children that he, that he uh, brings into this world that potentially will serve in the military that they're protected that they never have to deal with this shit ever again because you know this country made a promise after Vietnam and it was a promise that a promise that they didn't fulfill and it was uh, the global war on terrorism veterans that fulfilled that promise and we brought it forward and um, you know for all those Vietnam veterans out there you know. We're standing on your shoulders because you are the giants. You are the men and women that, you know, had to deal and struggle for so long unnecessarily. 
And uh, I hope that uh, this bill, uh, this law, brings you peace um, because we thought about you and, and many, many others. That's where I'm at, and I, I hope uh, you know that uh, my my small part of this was you know was part of putting it over the top and and uh, you know making making history. August tenth, two thousand twenty-two, might not go down in forever history. Many people may never remember this date, but it will change the lives of veterans forever. It will put some ghosts to rest, proving that you are your brother's keeper. Tim Jensen, Grunt Style, along with Rosie and Leroy Torres of Burn Pits 360. And a uh, big shout-out to John Stewart and his compadre, John Field there, who did this for the 9-11 firefighters and once again picked up the torch to fight for veterans. You guys go down in the history books and ensure veterans get the care and benefits that they deserve. Reporting for ConnectingVets.com and CBSI on Veterans, I'm Navy Vet Phil Briggs. Damn proud to know you, brother. Super five, Phil. <laughs> awesome. Let's get a damn drink. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder... Why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.